0: Bhadram karne bhishinu deva, Bhadram pasye makshabhirya jatraha, Sthirai rangai stushtavagum sastanubhihi, Vyashema devahitanyadayuhu, Svastina indro vriddha shravaha, pusha viśva Swastinastarksho Arishtanemi Swastinobrihaspatir dadhātu, Om Shanti 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 Om, O gods, may we hear auspicious words with our ears, while engaged in sacrifices, may we see auspicious things with our eyes, while praising the gods with steady limbs, may we enjoy a life that is beneficial to the gods. May Indra of ancient fame be auspicious to us. May the all-knowing Pusha, God of the earth, be propitious to us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, be well disposed towards us. May Brihaspati ensure our welfare. Om, peace, peace, peace. So, we are studying the Mundaka Upanishad in a particularly important and interesting phase. We have started the second section of the second Mundaka. So in this second section, the verses are, they all uh, point to the highest reality. Remember, the whole of the Upanishad that started with the student asking, Sir, what is that by knowing which I can know everything? And the answer was Akshara, Brahman, the ultimate reality. Um, How is it that you know everything by knowing that? Because that is the cause, and um, the entire universe is the effect. What, what is meant by that? Just as we know, if we know the material cause of something, you know all the effects produced from it. If you know gold, you know all golden ornaments. If you know clay, you know all clay pot um, pottery. If you know water, you know all the waves that come up in water. Basically, you know the, the reality of all the effects. Because the material cause continues in the effects. Gold, which is fashioned into ornaments, the gold continues in the ornaments. The gold doesn't disappear. It is, in fact, a very gold with a network of names and forms and uses, which is called a necklace or a ring or whatever, a bracelet. So that reality, by knowing which everything is known, Brahman, which is, of course, our own real nature, that is being pointed out in the second Mundaka, Second section, and we saw last time. Avi sannihitam guha charanamahat padam atreya samarpitam ajat pranam nimishatya yade tat jana tha sadasadvariniam param vigyanad yat Prajana. So it, it is effulgent, pure consciousness. It is the closest of the close of the close. It, it uh, abides in our hearts. Hearts means in our minds, as the very consciousness illumining our minds. It is the vast, it is the ground of the entire universe. It is that which enables us, um, uh, you know, have the experience of living in all beings, which move, which breathe, um, which, um, you know, poetic language the which blink. It is that which shines in the life of all beings. And that is pure consciousness. Then we saw in the second mantra, yad yad That pure consciousness, which is the subtlest of the subtle. Uh, b- subtlest in the sense that it's actually not an object. There is the physical universe. Subtler than that is our subjective inner universe. Subtler than that is the cause, the karana. But subtler than all of these is the reality, which is the pure subject, which is not an object. So objects are of three three gradations The gross, sthula The subtle, sukshma And the causal, karana Karana, sukshma, sthula But they are all objects The sthula is like physical This body, this world The subtle is mind and emotions And ideas and memories and feelings That's the subtle And the causal is what we experience The seed state of the subtle What we experience in deep sleep and all of them are, are object. They are object to consciousness. And consciousness itself is not an object. So, anubhyanu, subtler than the subtlest, minuter than the minutest. aksharam brahma. So, that is Brahman. And then, he goes on to say, tad It is to be, you have to shoot it. Oh, uh, seeker, spiritual seeker, you have to shoot Brahman. (laughs) So what is this shoot Brahman? So what is going to be said in the next few mantras are very beautiful sequence in which spiritual practice, spiritual life, spiritual practice is compared to archery. It's a spiritual archery. So we will read that and we must understand the comparison. I'll read the mantras, give the translation, and then we'll go into it. So what's going to start now? How do we realize this Brahman? How is Brahman attained or realized? And uh, the teaching will be given in the form of using the uh, metaphor of archery. And the mantras are also very poetic. Mantra number three and four. First we'll do three. Let me use the Sanskrit book. Mantra number three. Dhanur grihitva upanishadam Mahastram. Sharanghyu pasanishitam sandhaita ayamya tadbhava gatenachetasa laksham tadevaksharam somyavidhi. Stirring language. The translation I'll read from Gambiranji's book. Taking hold of the bow, the great weapon, which is well known in the Upanishads, one should fix on it an arrow sharpened with meditation. Draw the string, O amiable one. Hit that very target, that is the imperishable, with the mind absorbed in its thought. All right. So we have here, Dhanur Grehita Upanishadam Mahastram. There is a great weapon, Mahastram, a great weapon, which is found in the Upanishads. And that is the bow. You're going to shoot an arrow. You're going to have get a lesson in archery. Pick up that bow, dhanur grhithwa, Upanishadam. That Upanishad, the teachings of the Upanishads are Vedanta. Teachings of the Upanishads is Vedanta. So that is the weapon. Pick it up, and then put on it an arrow. Shara, shara means arrow, and that arrow has to be sharpened and straightened. It, it should not be bent. It should not be blunt. It should be sharpened and straightened. Upasa nishitam place on that bow in the on the bowstring Ayamya, pull back the bowstring so dramatic tad in achetasa, with your mind absorbed in the target like an archer shoots an arrow in absolute concentration and then laksham hit the target laksham vidhi hit the target but the laksham, the target here is tad aksharam that imperishable which imperishable? That which we have been speaking of since the very beginning, which you asked, what is that by knowing which I shall know everything? So, that imperishable is the target. All right. So, what is being said here? Um, in archery, you need a bow, and the bow has a bowstring. And um, then you need um, the arrow, you need the target. And then you need a procedure to you know, shoot the arrow at the target. You need to focus on the target and then shooting the arrow at the target. And then the arrow should hit the target. Not only hit, it should pierce the target, become one with it, so to say. Yeah, it shouldn't bounce off the target or, or it shouldn't miss the target. So this is the; these are the elements of archery. And now see how they are compared to Vedanta. Here, the bow is the Upanishads or the teachings of the Upanishads. So the teaching of Upanishads is equal to bow. Then the arrow is the sentient being, the self, the Atma, you, I. We are the arrow. We are going to shoot ourselves into Brahman. The target is Brahman. That imperishable, the goal of which the student asked, what is that by knowing which I can know everything, that imperishable reality, the cause of this entire universe. So that is the target. And... Um, the arrow has to be sharpened. The sentient being has to be sharpened. Um, then drawing the bowstring. So placing the arrow in on the bow, fixing it, is a cultivation of that Upanishadic knowledge. We'll go into it in some detail. Uh, and then drawing the bowstring is a stepping back, withdrawing from the world, turning inwards, focusing. Uh, and then releasing the arrow is the whole Vedantic inquiry into who am I. And then the arrow becoming one with the target is the realization that I, this sentient being, I'm not a limited individual being, I'm the unlimited Brahman. So this whole imagery of the archery is applied in the entire uh, philosophy of Vedanta, the procedure, the practice, the preliminary practice, the essential practice, we'll point it out. And the goal, what you're trying to do, how should you do it and what will happen ultimately? What are you trying to do? All of it is mentioned here. We will go through it carefully. Just But, but before I plunge into it, the nuances of this amazing mantra, uh, let me just point out, archery actually has been used for meditation and uh, spiritual development. In the Japanese martial arts, there is a martial art called kudo. Um, kyudo, K-Y-U-D-O, Kyudo. kyudo. Uh, which means the way of the bow, way of the bow and arrow. What What is done there is that the practice of archery is used for calming, focusing the mind and to cultivate a meditative state of the mind. It's been turned into an art. The background to this is the various Japanese martial arts which were meant for actually fighting wars in, in feudal medieval ancient and medieval Japan with the coming of uh, gun gunpowder and modern warfare they fell into disuse but they were not lost they were very wisely converted into methods of you know uh, physical fitness character development and spiritual development meditation so those which were fighting arts now became the way of uh, of spiritual de- of character and spiritual development so for example jiu which was the the fighting art connected with unarmed combat grappling unarmed combat it became judo the way uh, the, you know the way of uh, of unarmed combat uh, then kenjutsu which was the martial art which taught you how to use the sword uh, to you know cut other people down that became ken kendo which is very well known kendo where instead of actual sharp sword you use these bamboo sticks but it's a method of um, physical moral development and meditation also similarly kyujutsu which was the method of archery which was actual archery which you would stick arrows into a person <laughs> into your enemies but that became a method of meditation that became kyudo so jujutsu becomes judo kenjutsu becomes kendo similarly Kyujutsu becomes Kudo, and I would urge you, if you're interested, just look up some of the videos on on YouTube. It's very serene. Even watching the uh, demonstrations of Kudo, it gives you a serene feeling. It'll calm your mind and leave you feeling centered. Just watch the archer settling into position, putting the arrow on the bow aiming and releasing the arrow and staying in meditation after the arrow is you know in flight and hits the target even hitting the target there also is not the goal the goal is internal entirely the whole procedure it's as elaborate you know like a japanese tea ceremony as beautifully and precisely done as that the performance itself is important not actually hitting the target um all right now let us come to the Vedantic Archery Dhanur Grihitva Upanishadam Mahastram Take up the bow the weapon of the Upanishads What is this weapon? The teachings of the Upanishads What are the teachings of the Upanishads? That you are Brahman How do you take it up? How do you take up this bow? What do you mean by taking up the bow of the Upanishads? Shavana Manana Nididhyasan. You listen to these teachings You reflect upon what has been taught and then Meditate upon it to assimilate what what you have heard and understood. Listen to the teachings to gather the teachings. This is picking up the bow. And also um, reason so that the teachings which have been gathered are now understood. In the first stage, we should say, I now know the teachings after having heard. And in the second stage, after having heard, then we question, reason about it then you should be able to say, I not only heard the teachings, I not only know the teachings, now I understand the teachings. There's a big difference between collecting the teachings and understanding them. And finally, we try to assimilate the teachings because it has to be assimilated in our, uh, in our life because it is about us. It's not an objective piece of knowledge which has to be gathered and just understood and that's it. it real understanding would mean a real transformation within us. So these three stages Shravana, Manana, nididhyasana hearing, reflection and meditation or assimilation is picking up the bow. Um, and the practic- specifically it's actually hearing the teachings that's picking up the bow of the uh, Upanishads. And Upanishads are Vedanta. The definition of Vedanta is Vedanta Nama Upanishad Pramanam. Vedanta is verily the source of spiritual knowledge called Upanishads source of spiritual knowledge called Upanishads, that is Vedanta. That's the technical definition of Vedanta. You pick up that Vedanta, hear that Vedanta, gather that Vedanta, and then put on it yourself. The arrow has to be fixed on the bow. I, the sentient being, and here I don't mean pure consciousness, Brahman, Atman, just I, just you, the spiritual seeker, the student. We have to set ourselves in the Upanishads. But first of all, before setting ourselves in Upanishads, there are some preliminaries. Before putting your arrow on the bow, fixing it on the bow, and certainly long before shooting the arrow, you must uh, make the arrow, uh, you know, straighten out the arrow. If it is bent, it won't travel, it won't fly, it won't fly true. And if it is blunt, if the arrowhead is blunt, it won't pierce the target. Even if it reaches the target, it just bounces off the target. Similarly, so the arrow has to be straightened make aerodynamic and the arrow head has to be sharpened so that it flies through and it hits the target and actually penetrates the target. Similarly, in our case, we have to be straightened out and sharpened. That straightening and sharpening are the preliminary sadhanas. So preliminary sadhanas in Vedanta, I've mentioned it many times, the three levels of problems Three levels of solutions and three levels of practices. What are the three levels of problems? The first level, the highest or the deepest level, is ignorance. We do not know who or what we are. That we are that imperishable Brahman. We don't know that. And this is called ignorance. To correct this ignorance, the solution for ignorance is always knowledge. And so... The solution for the first level of problem, the first level solution is uh, knowledge. And how does that knowledge come? What is the first level of practice? Jnana Yoga. Hearing, reflecting, meditating. Hearing, reflecting, meditating, the process of Jnana Yoga. So this is the core practice. But it will not work uh, unless the preliminaries are done. And now we realize this beautiful example, why it won't work. Unless the arrow is straightened out, unless the arrow is sharpened, Um, your archery will will fail. So, the second level of problems is what is called this chitta vikshepa, scattered mind. First level problem, ignorant mind. Second level problem, scattered mind. Scattered mind, it has to be focused. The solution to the second level is focused mind. Chitta ekagrata, ekagrata, focus. So, focus of the mind. This is like making the arrow sharp. The arrowhead sharp. And uh, how do you focus the mind? How do you make the arrow sharp? Uh, the Upanishad actually says this. Upasa, upasana. Uh, upasana Nishitam, Sharpened by meditation. So the second level um, practice is meditation. Upasana. Raja yoga. So sharpening the arrow or focus. Developing focus in the mind. The ability to... Focus on a topic and hold on to it for prolonged periods of time. The ability to set aside everything else and then focus on something and stay there with it. So upahasana But then there's a third level problem. Third level problem is uh, chitta mala. That means impurity of the mind. And the solution to the third level problem is chitta shuddhi. Purification of the mind. This is most important. The, the drudgery the hard work the non glamorous work of spiritual life has to be done at this level so purification of the mind of this we have stuffed it with worldly desires which stuffed it with negativities and complexes those have to be purified and the one powerful way of purifying this mind is karma yoga selfless action dedicated so really what creates impurity in the mind is selfishness I am this person and everything that I do will be to make this one happy. And that's uh, based on a false uh, understanding. There is, this person is not even, uh, is ultimately not even real. It's a construct. And if you spend your whole life trying to make this body happy, this set of fleeting thoughts and emotions, trying to make it permanently happy, you are in for a big shock. It's going to be a huge failure. Nobody has ever succeeded. So, selfless action instead of selfish action a selfless life is most purifying now you have a matrix three cross, three cross three matrix the so, um, three cross three matrix uh, at the third level impure mind problem solution pure mind practice is karma yoga selfless action at the second level um, distracted mind chitta vikshepa, problem solution focused mind sharpened mind Chitta ekagra in Sanskrit. Method, meditation. Variety of meditation. You can call it Raja Yoga or Dhyana Yoga. And the first level of problem, ignorant mind, Ajnana. Solution, knowledge, Jnana. Method, Jnana Yoga. Uh, That is, hearing, reflecting, meditating. So you have a three cross three matrix. And when the Upanishad says, sharpen the arrow, it is referring to the second and third levels. Straightening the arrow, And sharpening the arrow. Straightening the arrow through karma yoga, selfless action. And sharpening the arrow through upasana. Upasana can be regarded as a a combination of both meditation and devotion. Upasana, the actual meditation is, dhyana is meditation. But the actual word used in in the Vedas, in the Upanishads is upasana. So upasana always has a feeling component to it. Not just focusing the mind. So you can say at a stretch. At the second level, you have Raja Yoga and Bhakti Yoga. And the first level, the practice is Jnana Yoga. So you have all the four yogas, but at at a hierarchical arrangement. Karma Yoga will give you purification of mind. It will straighten the arrow. Bhakti Yoga plus uh, Dhyana Yoga will give you a sharpened arrow. It will sharpen the arrow. And finally, Jnana Yoga will uh, give you knowledge, which is becoming one with the target. All right. So place the arrow the sharpened and straightened arrow place it on the bow that means settle down in Vedanta so for a time being one must devote oneself with one pointed attention with a pure and settled mind with a clear idea that I am here for enlightenment, for God realization same goal, what is that by knowing which everything is known I'm, I'm here to realize that, that I am Brahman. Um, that is settling the arrow in the bow. And then, Ayamya Ayam-mya means pulling back the bowstring. You, you put the arrow on the bow and then you pull back the bowstring with the arrow. How interesting, the arrow has to travel like this, but first you must pull it back like this. In order to travel, in order to realize what you are going to realize, in order to become one with Brahman, one must first withdraw from the world. One must first turn away from the world. Katho Upanishad. chikhani Khani, Parang, Pashyati, What did it say? It says, our senses are continuously turned outwards. Therefore, we see the world. We see, hear, smell, taste, touch, you know, color and form and sound and shape and sm- smell, and taste, and touch. These are the things we are engrossed in. And our mind also thinks about these things, about the world, about people. And that's what we are continuously immersed in. To the extent that we think, yes, that's all that there is. We have completely forgotten our ourselves, what we truly are. Then the Upanishad says, um, some wise and um, heroic spiritual seeker, the rare one, Realize the innermost self. How? Avritta Chakshur. Yeah. Uh, literally means covering the eyes, means turning away from seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. This is pulling the bowstring. You must step back. In order to launch on a long journey, one must step back. How do you step back? All the, the Upanishads and all, they, they all give you this method. Don't move around, sit don't um, be unsteady steady steady your breath rhythmic breathing then close the um, sense organs do not look and do not try to be in a still place which is not noisy do not be disturbed by smell or taste or touch neutral let not the mind flow out through the senses that is pulling back the bowstring but there's a deeper meaning to it the deeper meaning is renunciation you see, at a very deep level, one must give up this clinging to the world. Sitting quietly, like, uh, you know, like, uh, for, for a few minutes is not is not going to cut it. Um, Sri Ramakrishna, once he went to a gathering of religious people, and they, it was announced, now we shall meditate. And Sri Ramakrishna said, I thought they were going to seriously sit and meditate. And he said, oh, but I saw within two minutes, uh, they were again uh, up and about. So two minutes meditation. He said, that reminded me of monkeys sitting on the branch is <laughs> apparently very quiet and still but they are all planning mischief what they are going to do next not that kind of meditation a deep giving up of worldliness that my goal is not pleasure that my goal is not you know hankering for power appreciation uh, control uh, of uh, uh, you know this interpersonal world outside that is not my goal Not karma, not artha, not even the conventional religiosity, dharma. Uh, Technically in Vedantic um, uh, terms, whatever is there in this world and whatever the next world, heaven can offer me. Both of these I turn away from. Vairagya, dispassion. Without dispassion, the mind will not be calm. It will not be focused. The arrow will not be sharp. It will always keep you know, getting bent out of shape. So dispassion, even deeper meaning, just as an, I want to add this here, even deeper meaning of pulling back would be monasticism, even a formal monasticism, that actually uh, formally giving up your uh, worldly pursuits. Now, one may not do that practically. It's not practical for everybody. And clearly notice, uh, Shaunaka is not a monk. And there's no sign here that he does become a monk. So, what it means is an inner attitude of renunciation. Vivekananda, she says that uh, renunciation is the turning point in spiritual life. So, the karma yogi's renunciation is to renounce all self-seeking. So, the actions become selfless. The bhakti yogi's renunciation is to give up our hundred desires, a thousand worldly desires for one almighty love of God. That's the renunciation of the Bhakta, the lover of God. I'm quoting from Vivekananda. The Raja Yogi's renunciation is to give up every possible experience of the world. The eyes want to see, the ears want to hear, the tongue wants to taste, the skin wants to touch, the nose wants to smell. No, the Raja Yogi says no. The mind wants to think about the world. The Raja Yogi says no. So the renunciation of the Raja Yogi. And then he says the renunciation of the Jnana Yogi. What we are talking about here, Vivekananda says, is the highest of all. So, the very beginning, the Jnana Yogi denies the reality of any objective appearance at all. The gross, the stula, the subtle, the sukshma, and the causal also. All of them are appearances. They are not real. So this renunciation, turning away, so much is meant here. Ayamya, pulling back. Then only. Because without pulling back, if you let go of the arrow, it will (laughs) just be anticlimactic. It will fall at your feet. It will not go anywhere. In order to go forward, you must pull it back. And that gives you power. So that pulling back, that stepping back, that going away from the world. Yes, you will return. Yes, the world will still be there. But as we go into a temple, as we go into a meditation hall, Leaving the world behind, leaving our personal identity behind, leaving our personal projects, problems, our resentments, our memories, our uh, uh, future fears and anticipations, leave it all outside. Like you take off your sandals before you enter a sacred shrine. So leave the personal thing completely behind. It will be there, don't worry. Uh, but now when you enter the presence of the divine, you must enter Completely just by yourself. This is I am you know, pulling back. Pulling back the bowstring. Then a very beautiful phrase is used. Tad bhava With a mind immersed in Brahman. The word, the word used is bhava which is a peculiarly Sanskrit, you know evocative Sanskrit word. The mind must be saturated with a bhava. How do you saturate the mind in bhava? This is of course comes from our immersion in Vedanta. By continuously hearing, thinking about it, and desiring it, the mind is saturated, turned towards "I, I am Brahman." All the masters are telling me. All these books are telling me. Let me, let me just see. Sri Ramakrishna puts it very beautifully. He says, "Imagine there's a thief, and at night he's there, and he knows there's a, only a thin uh, clay wall, mud wall between him and a pot of gold on the other side." Now imagine. How restless the thief will be. That This is the opportunity. At night, before the daybreak, I must break through this very thin wall and a pot of gold will be mine. That kind of uh, restlessness, not about the world, completely uh, contented about the world, but a divine discontentment. I'm immersed. This is possible. The greatest achievement, the greatest attainment in um, human life, God realization, enlightenment, moksha, nirvana, is within my reach. That bhava Here, just as an aside, let me give you um, its counterpart. This is what we are ta- we are talking about Vedantic um, practice. But also, those who are initiated in the mantra, you will not fail to notice the amazing similarities between what is being said here. So, those who have been initiated into mantra practice, you have been given Ishta Devata, the deity to be meditated upon. In this form, in this form of Krishna, Rama, Ramakrishna is uh, is the particular form in which you will meditate upon. Uh, your, that is God for you. God is in this particular form for you. Your Guru has told you that. And then you have been given the mantra, the name of the deity and shown how to meditate. Now imagine, the mantra is the bow. The deity is the target and you, your mind is basically the arrow which is going to be shot. So you mount yourself on the mantra and travel with the impulse given by the mantra to you, to your goal, your beloved Rama or Krishna or Ramakrishna. And you become one with the deity. Just like the target arrow becomes one with the um, target. Similarly, you become one with the deity. This is the instruction basically. I mean, the archery imagery is not used there. But the technique is, this is this is exactly the technique. And there also, you have to pull back. You have to sit quietly in a pure holy place. You have to turn away from the world. You should not, mind should not be disturbed in going here and there and thinking about this and that. On a regular meditation schedule, morning, evening, you sit peacefully in a pure place, turn your mind inwards. So this pulling the bowstring, pulling back. And there the mind must be saturated with love for the deity whether it is krishna rama ramakrishna kali whoever is your deity so with devotion feeling the presence of god in your heart that is called bhava gatena chetasa by a mind immersed in that bhava given to that bhava bhava is just the attitude is not an adequate word for it there is emotion there there is knowledge there there is aspiration there there is a sublimation there so, bhava is many things. Then, what do you do? Lakshyam, Samyavidhi. Penetrate, strike that target, let fly the arrow, and let the arrow strike the target, and not only strike, become one, penetrate the it will stick to the target and remain there. So, you also fly. Fly means you uh, penetrate the target, you become one with Brahma. What is the target? Tadeva Aksharam. That alone, eva. That one non-dual Brahman, ekam eva That one existence, consciousness, place, apart from which there is nothing. That one only. When you you become one with that, what is meant by one with that? I am Brahman. You realize I am Brahman. That is becoming one with that. And a little more will be there. We'll see in the next mantra. Um, remember. There is no flying anywhere. This penetration of of that that realization, I am Brahman, it is not going anywhere. It is not uh, um, going to some other object apart from yourself. It is not traveling in space. It's not traveling in time. It's not traveling from yourself to some other object. Not like an arrow being shot. An arrow flies through space. Takes a fraction of a a second maybe. To go to the target and hit the target which is other than the arrow. Those are not meant here. What is being talked about here is Brahman, knowing which you know, know everything. So, how do you know it? How do you know everything by knowing that? Because it is the material cause of everything. If it is the material cause of everything, where is that Brahman then? Where is the target? You want to hit the target. Where is the target? The answer should be everywhere because it's the material cause of everything. Where is everything? Here? All around you? Then Brahman should be all around you. Where is the material cause of, uh, uh, where is the gold, which is the material cause of the ornaments? So, in the ornaments itself. Where is the clay, which is the material cause of the pots? Where will you find it? In the pottery itself. Where will you find the water, the material cause of all the waves? In the waves itself. In the waves themselves. So, Where will you find Brahman? The material cause of everything. In everything. Everywhere. When is Brahman? So Brahman is not separated from you by time also. It's not that I will shoot the arrow and the next second the arrow will hit the target. No. The target is not only everywhere. It is every when. It is now. And which one is the target? The target is you yourself. It's a journey from yourself to yourself. From yourself with small s to yourself with capital s. As one Swami put it in Hindi, very simply and very nicely put it in Hindi. Um, Jisme yaha aur hai. Ab aur tab hai. Yaha aur hai. That in which there is no here and there. Space, no difference in space. Now and then. Now I am a sentient being, then I will be Brahman. No, no, no. There's no now and then. And this and that, the difference in object. I am this and that is Brahman. No, no, no. Not like that. It's not a god apart from you. So no difference in space, no difference in time, no difference in object. Hmm. That in which space, time and object are appearing, playing around and disappearing. That is Brahman. He put it in Hindi. वह, हैं, हैं, that is Brahman in which here and there, now and then, this and that, space, time and object, appear, play around and disappear. That is Brahman. What is that? You. So when it says shoot the arrow from the bow to the target, it's an entirely the journey of the arrow. The spiritual journey is a journey from ignorance to knowledge. From not realizing to realizing. It is not a journey um, from this place to some heaven. It is not a journey from now, say a thousand years later, or when some god will come as the next avatar or the messiah will appear. Not like that. Not now and then. It is also not a journey from yourself to something else called God. It is your our own innermost reality. So this is the flight of the arrow. This is the uh, spiritual journey. Dhanur grihitva upanishadam Mahastram. What a beautiful mantra. Pick up the, the bow. It is in front of you. This upanishad is in front of you. Great weapon. Then place on it yourself. Purified by your spiritual practices. Straightened and sharpened by your spiritual practices. Pull back the mind and the senses. Ayamya. Pull back the mind and the senses. And what kind of mind? Bhavagate With the mind immersed in God. Immersed in Brahman. And immersed in real self. Then, Laksham. Samya viddhi. That one non-dual imperishable Brahman. That is the goal. Oh, um, dear spiritual seeker, penetrate that. Hit that. Penetrate that, hit that means become one with it. Become one with it means realize I am that. Realize I am that. Also become one with it. Also has many other connotations. All of Vedanta can be packed into these two two mantras, three and four. Many other connotations. The other connotation would be become one with it. In advanced students have this complaint often. I get it. What you're saying, I get it. It's not difficult. I understand. But it slips away from me. The arrow doesn't stick to the target. It hits the target, but then falls flat on the ground in front of the target. No, no. Sticks to the target uh, and penetrates deeply and stays in the target is being centered in Brahman. Being effortlessly, I am that reality. No longer the complaint that I get it, but it goes away from me or I understand it in the class, or once in a while in meditation I seem to get it, but in practical life it goes away. Why should it go away from you? If I am Sarva Priyananda, and then I say, yes, when I think about it I am Sarva Priyananda, but when I am busy, when there is a lot of work to be done, or when I am upset, then I am not Sarva Priyananda. Sarva Priyananda slips away from me. You laugh at me. and say, that's silly. Whatever you do, wherever you are, in whatever condition you are, physical condition healthy or sick um, pranic condition tired or energetic uh, or actually healthy sick is, is a pranic condition a mental condition elated or depressed um, alert or bored or um, tired uh, or sleepy whatever it is emotional or peaceful whatever it is you are sarva priyananda similarly that clear conviction that clear that clarity that I am Brahman. There should be no more doubt. That is the arrow having penetrated Brahman. and penetrated the target. Arrow having become one with the target. You having become one with Brahman. Become one is also a wrong way of putting it. You realize you always were. Effortlessly one with Brahman. Now, Shankaracharya in his commentary basically says what I have said. He says, Upasani nishitam How do you sharpen the mind? This is Santata Abhidhyanena. By repetitive meditation. By repetitive meditation. Proper technique of meditation. In Vedic techniques, many are there. But you need not have one of those old Vedic techniques. Those are mostly defunct now. But now there are, um, you know, gurus will give you a mantra. And upasana of Saguna Brahman, Saguna Brahman Dhyana. Uh, Ishta Devata will be given. A deity to meditate upon. Uh, Shiva, Kali, um, you know, Krishna, Rama. In whichever form your guru gives you. And a mantra. So repetitive meditation on that. Tanukritam. Sanskritam. Refining the mind. Very beautiful Shankaracharya says. The sharpening of the mind. and Straightening of the arrow. And sharpening of the arrow. Is basically he says. Refining of the mind. Tanukritam. Tanukritam means. Making it minute or small. This refined mind. Capable of, of sensitive. Capable of. Discerning subtleties—all of this helps. You know, whatever we do in civilization, whether you cultivate music or art or uh, literature, careful study. Um, um, I remember a discussion with um, a monk many, many years ago. We were discussing something, and this monk was asked. He was asking about what we newcomers, what we had studied. And somebody asked him, why do you give so much importance on what degrees we have, what we have studied? Uh, you know, Sri Ramakrishna didn't have degrees. He was uh, uh, unlettered in that way. So uh, that monk said, in Bengali I'll tell you and then translate, che, uh, mon hai. by study. It's not that it will become spiritual by study, but the mind becomes re- refined by study. Even academic study. Study literature, poetry, you cultivate art or music. Our senior monks often used to say, before becoming a sadhu, become a gentleman first. So cultivate yourself first, become a good person, a refined person. That is the, uh, the initial stages. And then meditation will sharpen it further. So, samskritam mana, that means a refined mind. Ayamya, pulling back the bowstring. His, Shankaracharya says karanam, so, visayad, uh, so, laksha eva, uh, avajitam so very carefully worded He says along with the sense organs With eyes and ears and smell and taste and touch Withdrawing the mind See literally you can't withdraw the sense organs It's basically withdrawing the mind As the mind turns away How do you turn away? Sohavishaya, from the respective objects. Eyes want to see, I will not see, I am not interested. Ears want to hear, I will not interested, I will not hear. I will not interested, I will not taste. So that kind of turning away of the mind from the various objects of the senses. Then the senses also will calm down. Then, avarjitam lakshya, not dropping the goal or not dropping the object of meditation basically what happens is we drop it we we wander away from the object of meditation similarly so pulling back the um, bowstring is that not just um, in uh, vedanta class very important vedanta class in the vedanta class we must when we sit down to listen to vedanta class must pull back the bowstring but also in life too much engagement with worldliness it will it will constantly mess up uh, whatever learning we are getting from from Vedanta. It's like putting uh, water on a hot frying pan. It will just hiss and disappear. So it must be cool for the water to gather. All the knowledge it must gather. Otherwise the trouble the world puts you through, it will drive away. The the initial uh, teachings will not take hold. Uh, in, in the Himalayas, the sadhus have a word. They say, You are not uh, assimilating. Uh, oh monk, you must assimilate. Digest the teachings. Another word they use, It must set. The, these teachings must must set. Like a bone has to set. Uh, like you know, you are making uh, constructing something. It has to settle in, in you. And that cannot happen if you continuously disturb it. Once, a great Swami, uh, I think it was Swami Shantanandaji, this was in the early decades of the 20th century. He was staying and meditating in Banaras. So a group of very well-known devotees, I mean, who were very close to Mahasharada and all, they came to visit Banaras, and they knew this young monk. So they said, "Uh, can you show us around? And so he quietly showed them around Banaras. Then later, I think it was Swami Shivananda, when these devotees returned and told him, what? Uh, how nicely the young monk had showed them around. He scolded them. He said, why did you disturb him? He is, uh he's a charach, that means in Bengal, that means, he is tripping away the world. Don't pull him back into, And even for something like showing us around holy places in Banaras, the very fact that he has to come into contact with people and talk to people and spend a day roaming around in the streets with you, don't do that. Leave him alone. So this, Pulling back, and then the next mantra, which completes the imagery, the archery imagery. Number four: Pranavodhanu sharohyatma Brahmatal lakshamucchite apramatte naivedhavam sharavat tanmayo bhavet. Again, very stirring imagery. It says, number four. Om is the bow, the soul, the sentient being is the arrow and Brahman is called its target. Now the whole comparison has been, is explaining exploring the metaphor. It is to be hit by an unerring person. One should become one with it, just like an arrow. So You should become one with Brahman, just like an arrow. Om, Pranavodhanu, The bow. Om is the bow. Why Om? So all of the Upanishads, all of Vedanta, it can be summarized in what is called Mahavakya, the great sentences. Tatvamasi, you are that. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Prajnanam Brahma, our um, conscious experiences when properly understood, they are nothing other than Brahman. I am Atma Brahma, this very self is Brahman. So this is the... Any one of these sentences found in the Upanishads they summarize the entire teaching of the Upanishads. So the Upanishads is the bow, but these sentences, any one of these sentences, is the bow. And even more, if you want to make it even more, make it more succinct. Om, Pranav. Om is called pranava. Pranava means om. So pranava o dhanu. The bow. Om is the whole of the Upanishads is in om. How so? We have studied. You know, if you want to expand Om, what will you get? You will get the Mandukya Upanishad. Om has the three comp- components. What are the sounds in Om? Aum? A, U, M. A, U, M. So, A, the first sound, what does it stand for? It stands for the waker and the waking world. You and your external, your world, which you are contacting with your senses, the physical body and the room you are inhabiting. And the people around you, that's your waking world. And you are the waker. And at a cosmic level, the cosmic waker called Vishwarupa or Virat and the entire universe. Then U. So all of this is A, the first letter. Then the next letter, U. It stands for our dream world. You the dreamer. When you fall asleep and we dream, you the dreamer and the world of your dreams, whichever world comes up in your dreams. So it's entirely made by the mind. Not through the senses anymore. Now through the mind only. That one is called Then Just give it a name, ooh. And then we go into deep sleep. No external world contacted through senses. No internal world dreamt up by the mind. And just the blankness, the seed state. And you, the experiencer, are experiencing blankness. There is no personality, no mind, no body, no individuality. Just that blankness experienced blankness. That is deep sleep. That is mm, ma, the last sound. And when you chant om, OM your mind should rotate through the waking and waking waker world. Waker in the waker's world. Dreamer in the dream world. Deep sleeper in the deep sleep darkness. And see how I experience this world. That is uh, I the dreamer experience the dream world. That is u. I, the deep sleeper, emerged in darkness. That is, mm, but I am the common one in all of them, and I, the common one, who is am in and through waker and waking world, dreamer and dream world, deep sleeper and deep sleep, that seed state, that underlying one consciousness, that is signified by the silence after Om, Om, the silence, the silence after Om signifies the Turiya, the fourth. First waker, waking world. Second dreamer, dream world. Third deep sleeper, deep sleep potential darkness. And the um, fourth, so-called fourth. It's not really the fourth. It is the one consciousness which appears as the three. It is the silence which appears as a, ooh, and ma. So this is, and that that silence, that is the name of pure consciousness, or turiya, or the atman, which is you. All of this is packed into Om. The 12 mantras of the Mandukya Upanishad and the four chapters of Karikas written by Gaudapada, the most, most profound teachings, the highest of Advaita. All of that is Om. What is this Om? It is the bow. Take up the bow. Pranavodhanu. The name of Om is Pranav. Pranav is a very common boy's name in India. Pranav. It means Om. Atma. The self is here pure consciousness and all are not meant. What is meant directly is you and I, the sentient being. You are the uh, arrow. And then the target is Brahman. What is Brahman? Your real nature, my real nature. And the real nature of the entire universe. By knowing which, the whole universe is known. That is the target. Apramattenaviddhavyam. Apramatta. Without error, mindfully. Don't drop the ball as Americans would say. Don't drop the ball. Once you have picked it up, pursue it. Do not be distracted. Um, Distractions are of many types. Doubts are there. Pramada means doubts. I sort of get it, sort of don't get it. Then you don't get it yet. Repeat. Hearing, reflection, meditation. Then another kind of problem, Pramada would be, I get it. I am Atman, Brahman. But I continue to behave like that old guy, that, that completely useless guy which I want to reform and transform. I am continuing to behave and react to the world like that. I become angry, upset, grasping, insecure, or I react in harsh ways to others. Um, what This thing should transform us slowly, but it should transform us into a veritable saint, basically. It's a saint making philosophy. So, Pramada, error is believing one thing, understanding one thing, behaving in a different way. And it's difficult work. But it has to be, life and our understanding has to be brought together. If I understand myself as Atman, if I understand myself as Sarva Priyananda, I will behave like Sarva Priyananda, which I am doing effortlessly. But if I understand myself as the one consciousness in all beings, I should try to behave like that more and more, manifest that that non dual knowledge should be manifested in this human manifestation live vivekananda said religion is the manifestation of the divinity already within us this is what is being talked about is already within you you are one with brahman the arrow is already arrow is not one with the target but you are that target arrow becomes one with target when the problem is solved Then you realize i am brahman the realization comes pramada Error can come at higher levels also. So it can come, you know, um, I'll share this at the risk of being called a non-dual fanatic, Advaita Vedanta fanatic, which I am I am a little bit, I think. Uh, it, it goes like this. This is all stuff which is handed down in lore from monks in the Himalayas. So it goes like this. There are errors possible, like you are being handed over the final, highest teachings of the Vedas, are the most ancient, continuous spiritual tradition in human history. You've been given the highest, final teachings of that. There's nothing higher than this non-dual realization. And this is being given to us. After this also, one may, and it happens, one does not realize what one has got. It's just because we are not ready. The arrow is not straight or it's not sharp enough that preliminary work has not been done what are the manifestations yes this is all right i am brahman um, but uh, let me try that that meditation guru the latest uh, in california retreat is going on you know they charge 500 dollars or something like that 1000 dollars let me try that or this is very fine but uh, uh, that particular tantric yogi has come and showing certain uh, you know spiritual powers let me try that also. Any harm in that, or this latest new age? Some crystal, something has come. Let me try. Come. What are you connecting with? What? Uh, you are uh, uh, connecting something uh, uh, on the top of the Everest mountain with uh, uh, the uh, uh, drainage or lack thereof in in a in a in a slum. There's this vast difference. So the story they say this is uh, my these are my words, but the story they give is. It's from the um, Ramayana, the monks who who tell us what kind of error there can be. They say from the Ramayana. So the story goes like this. Those who know the Ramayana story will understand. Hanuman, uh, he has come into Lanka in search of Sita. And uh, the demons, the Rakshasas are trying to capture him. Finally, uh, Indrajit deploys the Brahmastra, the weapon given by Brahma, the, you know, the, the most powerful uh, weapon in the uh, of the gods. And so the Brahmastra, the weapon of the gods, comes to Hanuman and says, look, I know I can't knock you out, but it's my prestige. So can't you just pretend to be, you know, to faint or something like that when I hit you so that my prestige is maintained. <laughs> you know, like I'm the most powerful weapon. And um, Hanuman says, Alright, uh, it's a matter of your prestige. So, so he falls faint and and the demons capture him. So this is the story. Now the demons being demons, they have no faith. They are faithless. So they have no Shraddha and They are saying such a mighty Anuman. This uh, celestial weapon, is it enough? You know, he may wake up anytime and he will kill all of us. So let's just tie him up nicely using rope. Where is Brahmastra, the weapon of the gods, and a piece of rope? So they proceed to tie him up with the rope. And then Brahmastra is deeply offended. He said, "You don't depend on me. You're depending on a piece of rope to catch a Hanuman." Well, goodbye. I'm going. I'm. I'm not going to stay here. And Brahmastra leaves, and Hanuman is set free from his promise to Brahmastra to be docile. So immediately, of course, you know the history how he breaks out of those. Um, Uh, ropes and then destroys, burns down uh, Lanka itself. Now, the monks will say this, and this will sound awfully Advaita fanatical. They will say, once you have got the Advaita, never take the support of lower practices. It's like getting the Brahmastra and you're taking the support of ropes. No. (laughs) Don't do that. That shows a lack of understanding of what you have got. If after all of this, I know um, a young monk once came, he was studying Vedanta along with us and uh, he liked the Upanishads and Atman, pure consciousness, Brahman and so on and so forth. And he said, good, good, that's great, that's great. Then um, in the puja practice, we, we taught how to do puja and the part of the puja is a little teaching of pranayama, you know. You breathe in through the left and close the right nostril, then hold the two nostrils for 16 counts and release for 8 counts in the right nostril and so on. So pranayama teaching is part of the puja practice. When he was taught that, you should have seen his delight. Wow! He said, this is what I had come for. Wonderful. He liked this. <laughs> this one. <laughs> From where to where? From pure consciousness, Atman, Brahman, to <laughs> blowing through the left nose and the right nose. See, this is the problem. One must have an appreciation of what one has been given. At one time, this was very difficult. It was uh, it was a very non-democratic knowledge uh, arrangement where all these were kept very secluded in the hands of a few and given in a very miserly way to only the people who were fittest, who really, really wanted it. Otherwise, it was not even revealed. Uh, now it's democratic. It's open. It's on YouTube, like us. <laughs> it's everywhere. And thank God. I am very happy it is so. But then the problem is, one doesn't understand the value of what one has been given. So here, do not be mistaken. And the sign that this is the final teaching, highest teaching is, even if you wander away from here, you will wander away because the arrow is bent or blunt. You will wander away from here. One day or the other, your paths will come across Vedanta again. In this lifetime, if you are lucky, or not so lucky, then in some future lifetime. Vedanta is very, very patient. We will wait for you. You go to attend this course, attend that lecture, take those, um, breathe through this uh, nostril and breathe out through the other nostril, uh, open this chakra and that chakra, all of that. I'm not saying those are wrong, but those are hierarchically very preliminary. Those who are masters of those techniques, those who are masters in those paths, genuine masters in those paths, they will tell you. They will tell you that what is taught in Advaita Vedanta is the final word. Alright. Aparamattenavedhavyam sharavat tanmayo bhavet. Sharavat tanmayo bhavet, be one with the target, with Brahman. Tanmayo, um, becoming one with, one with the target. Realizing that you are Brahman unshakably, unshakably. I am Brahman, yes, Vedanta has given me, but little tying Brahman with the rope is also maybe for greater safety. Now, then you have not understood. (laughs) Uh, All right. This, technically, this is called Jnana Nishtha. Jnana Nishtha means um, realizing your Brahman and living it. Mm -hmm. Living it. Uh, Not slipping back, not understanding one thing and doing another thing manifesting something that is already real to you. Good. Um, Let us look at the comments and questions and wrap up. So the archery class. Today it was the archery class. (laughs) Dimitri says, what is the practical smart way to renounce as I find that struggling with denial and restraint of desires is always a result of prevailing pool of desires? Yes. A strong determination God-realization is my goal. I shall attain it in this life. And whatever comes in its way, I shall um, remove it from my life. Will it be a struggle? Yes. Don't worry about the struggle. Sri Ramakrishna gave a smart way. You are asking for the practical smart way. Sri Ramakrishna gave a practical smart way, the principle. He says, the more you go towards the east, the more the west falls away. Similarly, the more you go towards the positive side of it, Go towards Vedanta. Go towards God will. Go towards devotion. Go towards selflessness. Move towards focus of mind. The distraction of mind, the selfishness, the impurities of mind will fall away. Don't pump energy into negativities. If you struggle with mud, your hands are going to get muddy. Rather, you know, jump into the river, it will wash away all the mud. So, catch hold of the divine. It's like, you know, there's a fire, I'm feeling very cold. Now, should, will I say that, oh, um, I know the f- fire is hot, but first I'm not worthy of being near the hot fire. Let me make myself warm a little bit and then I'll go near the fire. No, go near the fire. Go straight up near the fire, it will warm you. Go straight to God. Go straight to self-knowledge. Go straight to meditate. Start meditating. Start devotional practices. Start selfless, uh, act, uh, selfless action. Convert your daily action into a, in a spirit of worship. Engaged positively, negativities will diminish and flee. If you try to fight with negativities, it is an endless and exhausting fight and almost certain to lose it. Kunal says, we're told to realize Brahman in the waking state and the waking state continues even after realization. But while we are in the dream, how can we be conscious of the dreamer? I mean, the moment we are conscious, we are no more dreaming. Conscious of the dreamer in the midst of the dream. Mm-hmm. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep, that is meant as a method of uh, discrimination with method of analysis, which will show you the witness consciousness. In, first of all, I, I don't know if I've understood your question correctly. Vedanta is not telling you that in the middle of dreams, you'll suddenly realize that you are the dreamer. It's not a, a, a practice of lucid dreaming, it's nothing to do with that. It's in the waking state, realize that. To you the consciousness, this waker and waking state, dreamer and dream state and deep sleep, uh, you know, the deep sleep state, they come and they go. That you realize, you understand it, you see it here. See it as a fact. That's what you are trying to do here. Sonali says, can mind saturated with bhava, vedanta, divine discontent be equated to mumukshuttum? Yes. Intensity of desire to be free, that comes from A mind saturated with Vedanta Bhava, with the the knowledge that I am Brahman and the aspiration to make it a living reality for oneself. This is more easily understood in the devotional path. where you have deep devotion to suppose Krishna or Kali in whichever form, the mind saturated with love of God, that is Bhavagata. Sri Ram says, can the imagery be construed to encompass both? Self-investigation as well, as self-surrender, Sharanagati, both paths. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, though it is clearly self-investigation here. This is the Upanishadic path. This is a royal path of self-investigation. This is the direct path, the royal path. However, those who have been initiated into mantra practice cannot but fail to recognize the similarities between what is being said here. A mantra, a deity, you are using the mantra to become one with the deity pulling back from the world. All of these immediately matches with the um, practice. And it's it's no accident that it matches with the deity and mantra practice, Ishta Devata mantra practice. That's an easier way. That's a more concrete or objective way of doing it. This is more subtle, more difficult. Um, uh, That is using uh, uh, Saguna Brahman Upasana. Upasana worship of Brahman with attributes. Then Deepa and Krishna say, "Why is the bow Om? Should not the target be Om?" Yes, the bow is Om, uh, because that is the teaching of the Upanishads. What is the bow? It is the Upanishads. It is Vedanta, the teaching of the Vedanta. What is the teaching of the Vedanta? In one word, Om. What is Om? It's an actually an instruction. It it gives you your waking and waking state, dream state, and deep sleep state. Your um, Physical state, subtle state and causal state. And tells you, you are equally the witness and the ground of all these states. Tells you means not stipulates, you have to see for yourself. This is the teaching. So this is how Om works. And it reveals you to be Brahman. Certainly, the meaning of Om is Brahman. The meaning of Om is the real you. What is the apparent you? The waker you? The dreamer you? The deep sleeper you? What is the real you? The consciousness in which the waker and the waking world are. Dreamer and dream world, ooh, and deep sleep experience, mm, they come and go. That ground, that awareness is the real you. And that's revealed by Aum, no doubt about it. Anu says, we may know that we are Atma and we're trying to be centered. If we get emotional or angry or insecure, there's a feeling of having failed. As you have described, the intensity of these lapses lower, frequencies less, and recovery back to being realized, centered in Atma is much faster. As long as this is happening, are we on the right track? Absolutely. And you can pat yourself on the back that things are going well. Is rewiring the brain so our default identity is atma, right, wrong process? Yeah. I don't, I don't like using the words rewiring the brain, that is bringing in a different physicalist paradigm into something which is very, um, philosophically speaking, phenomenological. But uh, yes, if you're saying is manifesting this divinity within, Living this realisation. Is it a lifelong process? Yes and no. If we give it a good go, a fair run, then it will become easier and easier. It's not that it's a lifelong fruitless struggle. Not at all. It becomes much easier. Sunali says, very nice analogy to value this teaching. And finally see that the seeker, arrow, technique, bow and target, Brahman are always correct. They are one. Rick says, Problem is, many people think they have gotten advaita, so they eschew practices, but they aren't actually living advaita. They're mistaken understanding for realization. They would probably benefit from a regular practice, absolutely. Notice how this teaching is set and saturated in practice. The sharpening the arrow, uh, straightening the arrow, uh, the warning against prama, the error. You know, understanding one thing and living your life in another way. All these, these are all uh, problems and dangers along the path. And regular meditation, regular devotional practice, and regular selfless service, these are are very important. All on the basis of an ethical life. When you are a Vedantic student, Bhakti Yoga with deity worship, can can it be sleeping back? No. There is a technical point to this. When you become a monk, traditional uh, Advaitic orders, not in our order, but traditional Advaitic orders, you actually graduate from worshipping Saguna Brahman, Bhakti Yoga, worship of, of God with attributes, you graduate from that into a pure life of, of a life of pure um jnana yoga, hearing, reflecting, meditating. However, in general, the instruction is to carry on the worship of Saguna Brahman. And if you go to the traditional Shankarite mat- matas, the monasteries and all, you will find a regular worship going on with full rituals. Somewhere Shiva is the deity, somewhere Sharada is the deity, uh, you know, Divine Mother is the deity. There, so full ritualistic worship goes on, there is no conflict there. Abhijit says, Rick would be delighted with today's class as he's a born archer. Yes, Rick Archer, right? <laughs> Rick says spiritual practice does rewire the brain. Lots of research on that. Correct. I agree. But um, and and it's true, and this is the insight that uh, modern neuroscience is giving us. A lot of research has been done and shows how meditation actually physically changes the brain. Meditation, worship, spiritual practices of all types actually change the brain. You know, what what I was saying is that uh, the paradigms are different. One is a physicalist way of looking at it, and uh, one is a more experiential way of looking at it. Parul says, so after receiving Mantra Diksha, meditating upon Sagun Brahman is an exercise detachment without the outside world, focusing on one. Yes, those are the benefits, but that's not the only benefit. The real benefit is your connection with God. It will say next, in the next mantra. Beautiful phrases are used here. Amrita this is the bridge to immortality. These practices, this realization is your bridge to God, bridge to divinity. Not just an exercise in focus. Not just an exercise in turning away from the external turmoil; those are good and essential. Otherwise, you cannot concentrate on Vedanta. But the real benefit, the blessings which comes for by dwelling on God, in a devotional meditative exercise. Rick says, if you hooked Sri Ramakrishna up to an EEG machine, you'd see something different from the ordinary. I'm I'm clear. I'm uh, I agree with that completely. I, uh, that is true. Not only that, many of you may not know Swami Trigunatita um, disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, direct disciple, who established the Vedanta uh, Temple in San Francisco. So, before he died, he had expressed a desire that his brain should be preserved. After he said, after he died, he said, "You should preserve my brain. In future, um, there'll be like the science will advance enough to investigate the brain and see that the brain of a Jivan Mukta is different from is is clearly different from the brain of an ordinary person." So he had sort of predicted that the science will ad- advance in this direction. Well, nobody, of course, preserved his brain. <laughs> All right. Om Shanti 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 Hari Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupa namastu.